Chapter Seventeen of the Courage of Marjo Dune. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Courage of Marjo Dune by James Oliver Curwood. Chapter Seventeen. She was splendid as she stood there, an exquisite human touch in the savageness of the world about her, and yet strangely wild as she faced David, protecting with her own quivering body the great beast behind her. To David, in the first immensity of his astonishment, she had seemed to be a woman, but now she looked to him like a child. A very young girl. Perhaps it was the way her hair fell in a tangled riot of curling tresses over her shoulders and breast. The swimness of her, the shortness of her skirt, the unfaltering clearness of the great blue eyes that were staring at him, and above all else, the manner in which she had spoken her name. The bear might have been nothing more than a rock to him now, against which she was leaning. He did not hear Barry's low growling. He had traveled a long way to find her, and now that she stood there before him in flesh and blood, he was not interested in much else. It was a rather difficult situation. He had known her so long, she had been with him so constantly, filling even his dreams, that it was difficult for him to find words in which to begin speech. When they did come, they were most commonplace. His voice was quiet, with an assured and protecting note in it. My name is David Rain, he said. I have come a great distance to find you. It was a simple and unemotional statement of fact, with nothing that was alarming in it, and yet the girl shrank closer against her bear. The huge brute was standing without the movement of a muscle, his small reddish eyes fixed on David. I won't go back, she said. I'll fight. Her voice was clear, direct, defiant. Her hands appeared from behind her, and her little fists were clenched. With a swift movement, she tossed her hair back from about her face. Her eyes were blue, but dark as thunderclouds in their gathering fierceness. She was like a child, and yet a woman. A ferocious little person, ready to fight, ready to spring at him if he approached. Her eyes never left his face. I won't go back, she repeated. I won't. He was noticing other things about her. Her moccasins were in tatters. Her short skirt was torn. Her shining hair was in tangles. As she swept it back from her face, he saw under her eyes the darkness of exhaustion. In her cheeks, a wanness, which he did not know just then was caused by hunger 
and by her struggle to get away from something. On the back of one of her clenched hands was a deep, red scratch. The look in his face must have given the girl some inkling of the truth. She leaned a little forward, quickly and eagerly, and demanded, Didn't you come from the nest? Didn't they send you, after me? She pointed down the narrow valley. Her lips parted as she waited for his answer, her hair writhing over her breast again as she bent toward him. I've come fifteen hundred miles, from that direction, said David, swinging an arm toward the backward mountains. I've never been in this country before. I don't know where the nest is, or what it is. And I'm not going to take you back to it, unless you want to go. If someone is coming after you, and you're bound to fight, I'll help you. Will that bear bite? He swung off his pack and put down his gun. For a moment, the girl stared at him with widening eyes. The fear went out of them slowly. Her hand unclenched, and suddenly she turned to the big grizzly and clasped her bare arms about the shaggy monster's neck. Tara! Tara! It isn't one of them, she cried. It isn't one of them, and we thought it was. She whirled on David with a suddenness that took his breath away. It was like the swift turning of a bird. He had never seen a movement so quick. Who are you? She flung at him, as if she had not already heard his name. Why are you here? What business do you have going up there? To the nest. I don't like that bear, said David dubiously, as the grizzly made a slow movement toward him. Tara won't hurt you, she said. Not unless you put your hands on me, and I scream. I've had him ever since he was a baby, and he has never hurt anyone yet. But he will. Her eyes glowed darkly again, and her voice had a strange, hard little note in it. I've been... training him, she added. Tell me, why are you going to the nest? It was a point-blank, determined question, with still a hint of suspicion in it, and her eyes, as she asked it, were the clearest, steadiest, bluest eyes he had ever looked into. He was finding it hard to live up to what he had expected of himself. Many times he had thought of what he would say when he found this girl, if he ever did find her. But he had anticipated something a little more conventional, and had believed that it would be quite the easiest matter in the world to tell who he was, and why he had come and to tell it all convincingly and understandably. He had not, in short, expected the sort of little person who stood there against her bear, a very difficult little person, to approach easily and with assurance. Half woman and half child, 
and beautifully wild. She was not disappointing. She was greatly appealing. When he surveyed her in a particularizing way, as he did swiftly, there was an exquisiteness about her that gave him pleasurable thrills. But it was all wild. Even her hair, an amazing glory of tangled curls, was wild in its disorder. She seemed palpitating with that wildness, like a fawn that had been run into a corner. No, not a fawn, but some beautiful creature that could and would fight desperately if need be. That was his impression. He was undergoing a smashing of his conceptions of this girl as he had visioned her from the picture, and the readjustment of her as she existed for him now. And he was not disappointed. He had never seen anything quite like this Marge O'Doon and her bear. O'Doon. His mind had harked back quickly at her mention of that name to the woman in the coach of the transcontinental, the woman who was seeking a man by the name of Michael O'Doon. Of course, the woman was her mother. Her name, too, must have been O'Doon. Very slowly, the girl detached herself from her bear, and came until she stood within three steps of David. Tara won't hurt you, she assured him again. Unless I scream. He would tear you to pieces, then. If she had portrayed a sudden fear at his first appearance, it was gone now. Her eyes were like dark rock violets, and again he thought them the bluest and most fearless eyes he had ever seen. She was less a child now, standing so close to him. Her slimness made her appear taller than she was. David knew that she was going to question him, and before she could speak, he asked, Why are you afraid of someone coming after you from the nest, as you call it? Because, she replied with a quiet fearlessness, I am running away from it. Running away, he gasped. How long? Two days. He understood now, her ragged moccasins, her frayed skirt, her tangled hair, the look of exhaustion about her. It came upon him all at once that she was standing unsteadily, swaying slightly like the slender stem of a flower stirred by a breath of air, and that he had not noticed these things because of the steadiness and clearness of her wonderful eyes. He was at her side in an instant. He forgot the bear. His hand seized hers, the one with the deep red scratch on it, and drew her to a flat rock a few steps away. She followed him, keeping her eyes on him in a wondering sort of way. The grizzly's reddish eyes were on David. A few yards away, Barry was lying flat on his belly between two stones, his eyes on the bear. It was a strange scene, and rather weirdly incongruous. David no longer sensed it. 
he still held the girl's hand as he seated her on the rock, and he looked into her eyes, smiling confidently. She was, after all, his little chum, the girl who had been with him ever since that first night's vision in Thoreau's cabin, and who had helped him to win that great fight he had made, the girl who had cheered and inspired him during many months, and whom he had come fifteen hundred miles to see. He told her this. At first, she possibly thought him a little mad. Her eyes betrayed that suspicion, for she uttered not a word to break in on his story. But after a little, her lips parted, her breath came a little more quickly, a flush grew in her cheeks, it was a wonderful thing in their life, this story, no matter if the man was a bit mad, or even an impostor. He at least was very real in this moment, and had told the story without excitement, and with an immeasurable degree of confidence and quiet tenderness, as though he had been simplifying the strange tale for the ears of a child, which in fact he had been endeavoring to do for with the flush in their cheeks, her parted lips, and their softening eyes, she looked to him more like a child now than ever. His manner gave her great faith. But of course she was, deep in her trembling soul, quite incredulous that he should have done all these things for her. Incredulous until he ended his story with that day's travel up the valley, and then for the first time, show to her, as a proof of all he had said, the picture. She gave a little cry then. It was the first sound that had broken past her lips, and she clutched the picture in her hands and stared at it, and David, looking down, could see nothing but that shining disarray of curls, a rich and wonderful brown, in the sunlight, clustering about her shoulders and falling thickly to her waist. He thought it indescribably beautiful, in spite of the manner in which the curls and tresses had tangled themselves. They hid her face as she bent over the picture. He did not speak. He waited, knowing that in a moment or two all that he had guessed at would be clear, and that when the girl looked up, she would tell him about the picture, and why she happened to be here, and not with the woman of the coach, who must have been her mother. When at last she did look up from the picture, her eyes were big and staring, and filled with a mysterious questioning. David, feeling quite sure of himself, said, How did it happen that you were away up here? and not with your mother that night when I met her on the train. She wasn't my mother, replied the girl, looking at him still in that strange way. My mother is dead. End of chapter 17 Recording by Jairus Amar